We're talking about the future of resource investments and the resource sector all across the world and how investors should be positioned in regards to the gold, silver, and commodity spaces. Welcome back, Jay Martin. He is a CEO of Cambridge House and the host of The Jay Martin Show. Jay, welcome back. David, it's good to see you. It's good to see you too. I spoke to you about a year ago on the show and your own, your own podcast, The Jay Martin Show, has grown tremendously on YouTube. I recommend everybody to check it out. You speak to a lot of prominent investors and economists, so congratulations on that front. Uh, people know you, besides your own podcast, as the CEO of Cambridge House and you're hosting one of the largest resource investment conferences in the world coming up in May. We'll be talking about the Vancouver Research Investment Conference and what people can expect this year. But first, I want to get your take on the economy. Investors watching our program right now are curious to get your take because you have spoken to a lot of people. You've worked with industry insiders. What have people been telling you in regards to the outlook of not just the Canadian economy, I know we're both based in Canada, but the U.S. economy uh, most importantly. What's the outlook there? Are we headed for a recession? Are we headed for an economic rebound? What's your view? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, everybody's got a got a forecast and an opinion. Um, rarely is anybody correct. Usually, what occurs is a blend of everybody's uh, thought process, right? And what I would share with you, and how I'm acting as a consequence, is that the majority of the smartest investors that I talk to these days, they've been de-risking for the last year. You know, through you know a crazy equities rally, they weren't touching it, and they consistently were taking cash off the table and putting it in safe places. And so I've done the exact same, actually. I've de-risked my portfolio dramatically, uh, purchased a little bit of real estate, increased my gold holdings, increased my Bitcoin holdings, increased my cash. I know a lot yeah. of specifically resource investors uh, advise you not to hold cash. I, I disagree with that. I think it was some of the best investment advice I ever got was from a mutual friend of ours, Rick Rule. Mm -hmm. And the, the purpose is, you know, without uh, a pocket full of cash, you lack the confidence to chase those high risk opportunities when they present themselves. And so, yeah. you know, that's yeah. where I've trended as a result of, because, you know, I mean, you're, you're very similar, right? You hear, you know, a dozen forecasts in a week, right? 30 in a month. And so what do you do with those, right? You, you dissect them the best you can and you look for, where is there consistency? We're going to agree on a few things, disagree on a bunch of stuff, you know, but where is there consistency? And that's maybe where I focus. And the, uh, the consistency I see is uncertainty, I guess, is where I'm get, going with okay. that. Okay. We'll touch on a few points that you brought up. Rick, well, I have spoken to Rick a couple of times. And the funny thing he would tell you about cash, because he, from my, from my understanding, he's been bearish on the U.S. dollar for quite a while, and he also thinks inflation is a problem. How do you reconcile those two viewpoints, that inflation is here, to be per perhaps a persistent force, but at the same time, you should hold cash. I mean, wouldn't your value of cash be eroded by inflation? Absolutely, yeah. So I think it's all about how much cash as a percent of your assets, you know, are you looking at? And, you know, I, I think about it like it's it's dry powder, right? That's the purpose of cash in my life, right? It's, it's not savings, right? My savings is in real estate, gold, and uh, you, you could question this, but in Bitcoin, I, I park, I park, uh, you know, uh, I park uh, cash in crypto, but, you know, actual money that I hold, that's just dry powder, David. That's the reason I have it. And so it's there for the purpose of pulling the trigger when I see something that I really need, that I really feel like is undervalued yeah. and that I should own. Uh, what is your view on inflation? We both live in Canada. It's not, inflation is not just a problem in the U.S. Even in Canada, it's at the highest level since uh, since a few decades ago. Are you noticing that affect your everyday life? Yeah, certainly. Absolutely I am. And, 
you know, it's really easy to, to feel the immediate impact of expensive, you know, durable goods and groceries and feel like this is a trajectory that's going to go out of control. And maybe it will, but, you know, I, I think I try to temper that enthusiasm with an understanding that there's all sorts of variables at play, right? It's not just an expansion of money supply. There's short-term situations right now that are massively impacting the availability of goods and that's impacting yeah. the price. And so, you know, we, we, you know, hear the debate all day long about like, you know, uh, you know, is this runaway or is it, uh, you know, is this just, you know, temporary symptom? And, and again, I think the truth lies somewhere in the middle, any, any service product that I enjoy that's already been attacked by tech has deflated in price over the last decade and will continue to do so. Right. And so there's, there's always going to be those two forces at play, right. Any media product. You mentioned that you have personally de-risked your portfolio. You follow the footsteps of a lot of people you talk to. What do you mean when you say you've put it in safe places? What are these safe places? Yeah, so for me, safe places are, are, are real estate, right? Um, and so uh, I you know, own my principal residence. I don't care how cheap the money is. I like the increased equity in my home, and so I paid down my mortgage aggressively. And you know, friends of mine will argue that and say, you should capitalize on the cheap debt. You should mortgage your house to the hilt. And I just disagree. I like the peace of mind. Yeah. And for me, the peace of mind is more important. Um, and so equity in my home is key. Um, you know, gold for me, it's, it's the safest, most boring place for wealth. Right. And, and, um, so I've increased my gold holdings. Absolutely. Okay. Now I, I'm curious to get your take on gold. Now let's talk about gold. Gold has sure. not done well since August, 2020. Look, people are saying I'm hearing different viewpoints. On the one hand, they're saying, well, look, it's already done tremendously. Let's zoom out. David, they tell me zoom out the, the chart. And you'll see that compared to a couple of years ago, it's still doing very, very well. So yeah, we've had a bit of a blip for the last year and a half, but if you were a long-term investor who got in early, you're still doing quite well. On the other hand, people are disappointed that gold didn't rally above its $2,100 level in August, 2020. And uh, they're saying, well, gold, has, uh, gold is no longer an inflation hedge. Gold is no longer a safe haven. Gold is no longer this and that. The, the paradigm has shifted, they say. Where do you stand? Do you think gold is still the preferred safe haven asset. You mentioned that you hold gold, but uh, what would you say to somebody who says, look, Jay, I don't know if I should hold gold anymore. I don't know if it's a safe haven asset anymore. Yeah, I think that you're, you're, you're questioning, you know, four to 5,000 years of history. You're, you're questioning the rise and fall of hundreds of empires and thousands of market cycles because of what happened in the last 24 months. So, Time horizon really matters on this one. Knowing why you own an asset really matters. You know, the same reason that I just prefer to, to you know, I, I'm buying property now, even though housing prices are kind of crazy. I don't plan on trading those, right? I don't plan on trading my gold and I don't own gold for the return. Yeah. I own it for the peace of mind. Okay. So let me ask you this, given that you have peace of mind assets like real estate and gold, you're obviously prepared for some sort of economic downturn or some sort of market downturn. What could be the trigger? What's going to cause the next economic recession or perhaps just market bear cycle? Well, I, I think the, the nature of black swan events is that you don't know what they're going to be, right? And I just look around me right now and everybody's angry. We're incredibly divided, right? Um, it, you know, the markets are crazy volatile, you know, and still overvalued in my opinion, the broad equities market. 
it's very hard to find anything that's undervalued in price. So, you know, what should you be buying as an investor? There's not many things, right? Right. So, um, you know, I don't know what would, what would, you know, be that explosion point, that, that trigger point, David, but I feel like there's tension everywhere. And, uh, okay. Well, let me, ahead. let me, let me just outline some of the risks that some economists I've spoken to have told me about, and I'd like to get your take on what you think is the biggest risk right now. So inflation, market uh, overvaluation, people are telling me that it's still, the mar stock markets in the U.S. are still overvalued, especially the tech sector. Um, the U.S. dollar depreciation and, uh, and sort of the cryptocurrency bubble popping, which will bring down other financial assets with it because of how levered cryptos are. Um, so we've got a few things here. Inflation, the U.S. dollar depreciating, overvaluation, cryptocurrency bubble popping. Um, am I missing anything else or is one of those uh, on your list? Well, you know, you know, what's the U.S. You talk about the U.S. dollar devaluing like in, re, in relation to what, you know, and so that mm -hmm. doesn't I don't lose sleep over that. I, you know, I prefer right. to hold U.S. dollars. I think if you're going to hold cash, you should hold it in U.S. dollars. Um, you know, the inflation narrative doesn't keep me up at night as much as it does many of the economists that I speak to, because I think it's really easy to get excited about what might happen short term. I don't think we're going to see crazy runaway inflation. I just don't I just don't see it. You know, um, I see the velocity of money continuing to slow down um, and uh, and we'll see it like, we're, you know, we're expected to see these rate hikes that may cool the economy a little bit. Um, and, you know, more so than inflation, I think the supply chain issues are what I focus on. Like that's that's what's being affected the most in, in terms of price points. And I'm more concerned about access to goods, I suppose, than, than the yeah. price of that. What, what about current events? Like what, what about potentially war in the, U, in the Ukraine and the, the Russian border, for example? Would that escalate and would, would that be a scenario that keeps you up at night? Well, it's, it's fun to watch. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a great distraction for the U.S. government. And if they, you know, are able to populate the media with those headlines, it's, it's been a strategy we've seen employed many, many times. Um, how likely is it that, you know, the U.S. is essentially a free agent right now when it comes to yeah. war? We've, we've pulled out of Afghanistan, and so that's a trigger that could get pulled. But no, I, I think that there's there's a ton of hyperbole and sensationalism in the market right now. Very right. few of these things that you mentioned. And that's just my opinion, David. Like, I, I work really hard at not getting excited over headlines. And so when mm -hmm. I hear runaway inflation, when I hear war in the Ukraine, when I hear, you know, the U.S. dollar is going to collapse, when I hear crypto is going to pop, I always try to step back and say, you know, what's I really going to happen? You and I are quite similar because I, I work with people all the time and, I, and, I, and I, I'm responsible for writing some of these headlines that you talk about. So how do I, how do I take a step back and, 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 and moderate my own views? I, I, but let, let me talk about COVID for a minute. Uh, COVID is something that I guess society has to live with now. The WHO has ruled that it's not going to be eradicated in our lifetimes. Now, for example, you as a conference organizer, the, the VRIC, we'll talk about the VRIC. It was supposed to be in January, but it got moved to May because of Omicron. So going forward, do you think COVID is going to be a persistent risk for the economy? I mean, we're still moving conferences around, right? Yeah, I, I think, you know, I hope not, right? And there's reason to believe it won't be, right? For everything you just said, you know, now our our, our health officials and our politicians are saying, we're going to have to learn to live with this. And hopefully that's the case, right? M maybe it is the new reality that we've moved past lockdowns and, and you know, mandates and all of this eventually. But I, I think what's important to remember is that we accepted precedence on this. And so as a consequence, we can get clawed back overnight 
And we couldn't really argue because we accepted precedent all the way through 2020 and through 2021. You know, and so there's there's reason to believe it could get clawed back at any point in time. I hope yeah. not, and I don't I don't think it needs to be. Uh, well, I, I think you've tweeted about this issue on your own account that you know people need to people need to uh, the media need to start respecting this issue a little a little bit more closely. What do you think the correct policy should be going forward? A policy that guarantees the safety of everybody, but at the same time doesn't really damage the economy. What's the middle ground? Well, the, the middle ground, I mean, in, in my opinion, you know, our response to this threat was completely disproportionate. That's what I believe. And we get back okay. to like, you know, we talk about inflation, so we got to talk about runaway inflation, right? Yeah, we sure. talk about some conflict in the Ukraine, so probably going to be war. Like, it, it doesn't always get there. Often, it usually doesn't get there. It doesn't make it yeah. past the headlines. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, I... I my personal experience, right, is that uh, our our response to this was completely disproportionate. My concern is that the precedent we've set is that if anything has any risk of death, and you know we're talking about like a 0.5% risk of death, we allow complete interruption of our lives uh, to protect us against that threat. Right, that's the precedent we allowed in, which is horrifying to me. You know, and 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 it's uh, uh -huh. so. What do I think we should do? We should move forward. I was I was gonna. So you, do, you mentioned my conference in January, the VRIC. Yeah. And when Omicron. Yeah. Tell us what happened started, there. Yeah. Well, you know, Omicron started surging, <laughs> and uh, we were watching the numbers and receiving more concerned emails from companies planning to be at the show, saying, you know, are you planning to postpone it? Are you watching these case rates and all this stuff? And I was the last. The last one standing on the hill, David, say, no, we got to get back to life. We got to get back to work. We can't run and hide. I mean, let's look at the severity rates. Like this is a very benign and mild flu. This is not something we should run from, but we've been conditioned to run from the flu for two years. So what do we do? We run, right? We focus on case rates, even though it's it's a flu at this point, right? So I was ready to die in the hill and say, we're going to do this event in January regardless. But eventually, you know, we'd heard from enough of our delegates who said, if there's any way you can postpone this until the spring after this wave, we'd love it. And so, so that's just, what we eventually decided to do. Just to be clear, it wasn't the government mandating you to postpone it? It was not. No, those mandates in British Columbia actually didn't impact corporate events. They were focused on personal gatherings like weddings and private parties. But behind the scenes and the way they announced these mandates is a little bit confusing. They actually protect business. And so a corporate event like ours could have moved forward, right? but sentiment's different. So technically, yes, we could have run a 10,000 person conference at the Vancouver Convention Center in January, but would anybody have showed up with all the fear mongering headlines? True. I don't think so. Okay, look, I know you don't have a crystal ball. It's four months out or three months out actually rather at this point. Yeah. What's the likelihood you'll postpone it again? Well, I'd say very small, you know, okay. and um, something's changed, right? I'm sure you've noticed this. Sentiment has changed. I think that if there was some pent up demand to get back to live events, you know, in December, January, which is what we were seeing, the demand for that show was greater than I'd ever seen it. You know, that demand is 10X now. I think the frustration from the public with the most recent lockdowns is exponentially greater than, you know, the previous and original ones. And so now as a consequence, we are seeing our politicians pivot to say, we're now gonna start treating this like something we have to live with. and. You know, politicians don't set the trend, right? They respond mm -hmm. to it. And so they're obviously seeing everything that we're seeing, whether it's, you know, freedom convoys or just just general conversation. It doesn't have to be, you know, ex extreme uh, 
extreme uh, expressions. Just, I think we're all a bit apathetic towards this at this point. True. True. All right, I'm going to circle back to the break and what we can expect at the end of the interview. I want to talk about the resource sector now. You mentioned that you do like the resource sector. The GDXJ, for example, the Vanek Vector, uh, Vectors Junior Gold Miners ETF, the, 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 the ETF that tracks the uh, junior sector, it's not done great in the last year, uh, as you may be aware. It's, it, it's been down about 30 40% off its highs. I mean, is this, is this a good time to get in, or do you think valuations are going to get lower from here? What's your view? Yeah, it's... it's well, they might get lower, you know, whether or not they do. I think it's one of the only sectors that, uh, well, it is one of the only sectors where I'm allocating capital right now. It's um, it's one of those moments and we get these every now and then. And I mean, you know, every few years where you can buy phenomenal um, gold producing companies, you know, at amazing valuations and um, companies run by the best entrepreneurs in the business. And so what I'm doing right now is doubling down on those positions that maybe I'm down 30% on, but you know, I still love the management. We're talking about companies like pure gold, right? You can own, you know, a, a producing gold mine, right? Run yeah. by Marco day. One of the best entrepreneurs in the business at 60 cents today. That's ridiculous. That's when you enter. That's when I enter anyways, you know? And so I'm looking at companies like that and their peers at uh, price points that I just, I know I'm not going to see again, or, you know, not going to see very often. And just as a disclosure, do you have any positions in, uh, in pure gold? I do. Okay. And what is your selection criteria? You look at a junior, you look at a minor, like pure gold, and you think, oh, I'm going to buy this company. What do you, what's, what's, what's your thought process there? Yeah, I'm, I'm all about the people because I'm not a geologist, I'm not a mining engineer. You know, I'm sector agnostic in my portfolio, so I can't be the expert in the industry, but I talk to people for a living and I watch sentiment for a living. And so, you know, I can understand the individuals and I can dissect a resume, you know? And so for me, it's people over everything every single time. And my watch list isn't companies, it's human beings, right? And so I look at, you know, directors of companies, management teams, who is the leader, right? Who's the individual, as you know, when you're, investing in companies in the junior mining space, you're, you're betting on the integrity and decision-making of one or two individuals. And do you trust them to have an adventure with your cash and surround right. themselves with other great people? Okay. And, and uh, just backing up and talking about the commodity space. So we know you like the uh, junior resource sector, but what metal do you think has the most potential for investments uh, right now? Yeah, I'm, I'm more aggressive in the gold space right now. I've got right. some positions in the silver sector, um, definitely in the copper space, but uh, that's more or less the limit in my portfolio right now, David. I'm hearing a lot of rhetoric about uh, the EV transition, the transition from petrol cars to EVs and how a lot of battery metals are going to benefit, graphite, lithium. Uh, you mentioned copper, cobalt, manganese is something I've heard recently. Is that, yeah. is that something that, uh, is that a theme that you've been talking a lot about in your own podcast and, uh, you know, with the investors that you work with? We cover it, yes, but you know, I, I think when it comes to my portfolio, I don't know if this is playing it safe, but I, mm. I'm betting on the electrification of our world through investing in copper. Mm. And you know, it's just because it's the irreplaceable uh, ingredient, right? Not to say that cobalt couldn't perform exceptionally well as well as lithium, but you know, the supply and demand economics are just way less certain. And so, right. you know, the the aggressive and intelligent speculator could make a killing picking the right metal, but I, I play it safe. I, I buy the proxy, which is copper. I'm looking at the performance of the resource sector. And as we discussed, the GDXJ was down a lot in the last year. And I'm looking at 
relatively speaking, cryptos have done very well relative to, well, basically everything else, but the resource sector in particular, people are telling me, well, maybe cryptos have stolen some funds away out of the resource sector. Have you seen any evidence at all to support that claim? I don't think so. I think, uh, you know, I invest in both and I think it's important to invest in both. Um, right. You know, we, we, we talked a bit before you hit record about the demographic, uh, the visible demog demographic uh, yes. differences you'll see in these two markets. Like at, at the VRIC, a resource specific investment conference, you know, what's the average age of investors walking around the floor versus, you know, a crypto investment conference. And there's a 20 year gap between the 22 year olds walking around the crypto conference uh -huh. and the 40 plus year olds walking around my conference. Uh -huh. um, there's a handful of reasons for that, but I, I don't think that uh, crypto stealing speculation dollars for, from gold is something that is really top of mind for me. Well, you have dozens of exhibitors at the VRIC, perhaps even more. Uh, I, how many exactly? I don't, I don't want to speculate a number. How many exhibitors you got at the VRIC Two, now? 235. Okay, so of the 235, have you heard from any of those uh, resource uh, companies that they're concerned about the crypto space stealing their funds? Yeah, 100%. But, you know, if your your share price is down 60% and you're having trouble raising money, you're going to find an enemy, right? And so you'll point the finger. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, investors follow returns, right? Uh, and, and that's what's occurring here. Crypto has just performed amazingly well. Yeah. It's a new asset. It's an exciting asset. It's an absolute growth mode. And so right. the volatility, volatility to the upside is in investors' favor. And that's what's attracting investors. It's not it's not marketing strategies or, or sentiment. It's, it's, they go where the money is. I'm just wondering of the 235 exhibitors, how many are gold and silver companies and how many are base metals companies? About 50% are precious metals, silver and gold. Is that, is that a split that's been consistent throughout the years or is that something recent? Very consistent, very consistent, okay. yeah. You don't see that split changing over the next uh, couple of years, perhaps the next decade? You know, in the in in the balance, right? The uh, the other half, we see a lot of shifts over there. And certain years will trend towards a heavier population of uranium companies, heavier population of battery metal companies. Yeah. Um, but truthfully, David, for the last decade, gold and silver has owned half of that show, mm -hmm. regardless of what other trends are occurring. I just it just occurred to me. Would you ever consider opening up Rick to crypto companies as well, doing like a, <laughs> like a split there? <laughs> We've done it. Yeah, we've done you it. Have? I mean, you know, it's, it's an interesting question, right? Because what's my obligation with that conference? It's to showcase great investment opportunities to our audience, um, knowing they have a, a bent towards precious metals. But now in, in 2017, you recall that rally in crypto, we started talking about it and we hosted some of the first really big crypto versus gold debates on stage because everybody wanted to know, you know? Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's nice having a pure focus, right? And so if we were to open up the crypto, it's like, what else should we open it up to then, right? Health science, right. food technology, everything else. Right, well, that's a great question. What is your mission for the VRIC? I mean, it is called the Vancouver Resource Investment Conference. I don't yeah. know if you're obligated to respect that name and stick to only the resource sector. I mean, what's your, what's your plan going forward for hosting events? Yeah, we can do anything with it. You know, there's there's no obligation to keep it VRIC or just remove the R and call it the Vancouver Investment Conference. We could do any of that for sure. Um, but, uh, you know, when it comes to building the agendas for these conference, if what I want for that show is to be, you know, the flagship event for investors who want to get educated about opportunities in the commodity sector, that's where they can go. You know, and if we were to barn door the opportunities to include crypto and technology and, and you know, maybe the carbon sector or anything that's hot, right? 
Um, it's uh, we do that on our media platforms. Yeah. And so that's what you'll find on my YouTube channel and our podcast right. in my newsletter. That show will, will remain the VRIC. If we do other physical events, maybe, you know, maybe, but we'll see. Are tickets still open for the Vrick? Oh, 100%. Yeah, the show is now May 17th and 18th. So where can people, uh, go, to, uh, where can people go to purchase tickets? Cambridgehouse.com. Okay, excellent. Uh, before I let you go, uh, just I'm curious to get your background, your personal background, your journey from, you know, you're the CEO of Cambridge House, you have a successful podcast. Now, how did you get into podcasting? I'm just curious. Well, it was the, uh, it was a tool to become a better investor, to be honest, David. You know, the, the genesis for the podcast and the YouTube channel was that I wanted, I wanted more insight into uh, my portfolio. And so I started interviewing money managers who had been in the yeah. game a lot longer than I had investors who had way more success than I have. And I figured if I had interviewed as many as I could, you know, I could steal their best ideas, hear as many strategies as I could, and then apply that, which might work for me, knowing that no one's got the ideal formula, but you know, you hear as many as you can. I, I, I get this problem. I want, I want to ask you, interview to interview, how, how, do you, how, do you, how do you fix this problem that I, I have? I talk to a lot of people, I get a lot of information, but then I get like over analysis like syndrome. You know, it's like, how do I, yeah. one person's bullish, one person's bearish, what do I do? <laughs> it's like, yeah. I got a lot of information. How, how do you sift through that? How do you, how, do you, how, do you, how do you sift through the noise and make a call on your own? Yeah, I think maybe two ways. Number one is I look for consensus, right? Yeah. And so, if I interview 30 fund managers, they're going right. to agree on two or three things. Everyone's going to be doing something different based on their risk tolerance and time horizon. But there's going to be a couple ideas. Everyone's like, yes, that makes sense right now. And that's where I spend a lot of my time saying, you know, because I have, you know, Dr. Lacey Hunt on, you know, um, I've had amazing deflationists on my show who will just convince you, right, that the inflation narrative is wrong. Then you can have the counterpoints on the show and be convinced the other direction, right? And so how do you deal with that? Well, it's like, yeah, when it comes to placing capital, right? I look for consensus in the smartest minds and then spend more time investigating those theses. Okay, and uh, uh, Vrix, who are some of the headliners this year? The two that I'm really excited to sit down with would be the former prime minister of Canada, prime minister Stephen Harper, and the former president of Mexico, uh, president Felipe Calderon. Um, I think there's so much uh, sort of turmoil in global events right now, whether we're just talking about local civil unrest or bigger geopolitical events like we discussed earlier, uh, those two individuals having led, you know, a G7 and a G20 country, uh, both of them led their countries through the 2008 crisis. So the perspective uh -huh. they're going to have on risk management is hard to, hard to beat that, right? And so squaring off with each of those two individuals, I'm very excited about. All right. Over and above that, we've collected some of the smartest macro finance personalities that you and I both have on our shows from yes. Danielle DiMartino Booth, um, Robert Kiyosaki, uh, Raul Paul. Um, the list goes on and on and on, but it's all up on CambridgeS.com. Excellent. Well, I look forward to being there and uh, covering the event with you. Thank you, Jay, for coming on the show today. Excellent insights. Thank you. Thanks for having me, David. Thank you for watching Kiko News. I'm David Lynn. Stay tuned for more.